Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Swing. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Well, in the words of Greg Gard, Jesse, welcome back, Tyler Wall. Yes, indeed. It was uh, the Tyler Wall that we've been waiting to see for a long time. It probably helps that he's further out from his injury and is as healthy as he's been in a long time, but he was uh, great. He was. Wisconsin gets it done on Wednesday night, 79-74 in overtime against Penn State. A little bit of uh, good feeling after uh, not being able to close the one out against Northwestern. Uh, I've Certainly feels like those Northwestern games may come back to haunt them. The two Northwestern losses flip those the other way, and things are looking uh, significantly better for them at this point. But we're not talking about uh, bad stuff this morning. We're talking about the good stuff. Wisconsin finds a way. They get it done, 79-74, as I said. And it was a, I don't want to say a complete team performance. I thought the, de- the defense in the second half, uh, especially late, or I should say, uh, the defense at times on uh, on Wednesday, not great, but offensively, uh, as good as they've played this year. I mean, you get contributions up and down the lineup. Connor Asijan, 18 points. Chucky Hepburn, 19 points. You mentioned Wall with the 16 points. Stephen Crowell had 11 points in just uh, 24 minutes of action. Even Jordan Davis off the bench gives him eight. Max Klesman with a huge late layup there in overtime. Uh, he has five. Wisconsin shoots 52.8% from field that's their best shooting percentage of the season it's their best shooting percentage since december of 2020 when they beat uh, a covid stricken louisville squad by a whole bunch so that offensive performance overall as good as i think wisconsin can be yeah i have to agree and and it obviously helps when wisconsin shoots 11 for 24 from three-point range but you had chucky hepper and connor season being hot but what really stands out is the ability to finish at the rim. And it all starts with Tyler Wall. There's been a lot of talk, and we've discussed it on this show as well, about what's what's wrong with Tyler. Why isn't he able to finish in the paint? And that was not the case for the most part on Wednesday night against Penn State. You saw Wisconsin make a concerted effort early to get him the ball inside. I think for the first five possessions, Tyler scored on two of those. And it was the patience that he demonstrated. And he's always been... Uh, you know, had the ability to maneuver against bigger bodies, to dribble his way back down a guy, get into the paint, but it was the finishing that was problematic. And he, he just had, not only was it great touch and physicality, but it was patience, the willingness to, to wait, to get a better look. Um, and it made all the difference in the world for him to get 16 points. And not only that, the six rebounds stand out, but th- the number that really jumps out is he had eight assists to one turnover for a forward to have, a box score like that is truly incredible. And a lot of that comes back to the patience that he had from being down low. If he's consistent down there, you've obviously got to respect it. And if he draws doubles, how many buckets did Wisconsin get where he's down low and he's able to find Steven Crowell cutting for the basket or a nice cross court pass for a three pointer. So when you've got Tyler playing like that, you see what's possible for Wisconsin. The assists stand out largely because there were times earlier this year where he was just he wasn't even looking when he was in the post he was you know it was backing his guy down and if it was a stalemate down there the ball was still going up I mean you could even say that as recently as the last 
couple games. And I thought against Northwestern, he had four assists, so it was kind of a, a start of that. But then last night, he found guys open, and obviously they hit shots, right? Like, he can he can hit open guys out of the post all the time. If the shots don't fall, it doesn't really matter. But they uh, he got them in really good spots, and he was able to uh, – they were able to find him. I thought a lot of the passes stand out, but his pass to Steven in overtime to give them – what was it? Uh, I think it was a either a two point lead or a four point lead, where he drove the baseline, was kind of stuck, and Stephen made a nice cut, but he found him right in right there, and it was an easy layup. I thought that was the best pass of the night for for him, and it just speaks to what you kind of talked about: the ability to do a lot of different things and keep your eyes open, not always just be basket. I'm going to the basket, basket, no matter what. Found a wide open guy, and it was an easy basket. Yeah, the player referencing gave Wisconsin a 74-70 lead with about 90 seconds left. Yep. And uh, I have to give Wisconsin a, a lot of credit for what's – it's obviously been a difficult stretch for them. And then you go on the road, and Penn State comes all the way back, obviously forces overtime, and you're in a tough spot. And they executed down the stretch. There were so many instances where they needed a play, and they came up with one. That was one of them. You talk about Max Klesman with the huge drive, and he, he hits the lefty layup at the shot clock buzzer. They could have fallen apart because Lundy buries this ridiculous three um, that felt like such a low percentage shot. It was basically, let me get the ball, take a couple dribbles and just pull up and hope it goes in. And it went in and, and all of a sudden Wisconsin, which had had the lead late, finds itself in overtime on the road. But but they were able to win. And, you know, obviously a lot of work to do to get where they want to go. But is it is it hyperbole to say it was a must win? I mean, they lose that game and they're you know, five and eight in the big 10 and 13 and 10 overall. It just feels like an impossibility to get to the NCAA tournament. At least now the Badgers are still keeping themselves in the conversation a little bit more. Kind of look at it as a can't lose. That, yeah, it may be semantics, but uh, they had to have no, it, especially just, after the the Northwestern game. I'm just messing with you. Um, <laughs> the the one thing that I think stood out and in, in one of these questions came down in, the Twitter questions, but I'll ask it now because we're talking about Tyler and, and how good he was and all the different things that he was able to do. Your feeling when he put up the three-pointer when it was tied 65-65? Um, that is not your strong suit. But and he it was is so wide open. But he was so wide know. open. I don't know. Um, I, I, like he's I'm made back before. I, right. I'm going back and forth on it. If that's Steven Crowell, do you want him taking a shot? Yes. He, he's missed him before, but it's wide open. And and Stephen, I'm thinking back to Northwestern game. There's a wide open three that he had at uh, at Northwestern, not uh, the last game, but a, a wide open shot late, and he couldn't knock it down. Maybe they win the game, but it was so wide open. I know it was early ish in the shot clock. Do you have any issue with the with the shot? Uh, I I don't know. He, he it's tough because his shooting percentage from three is so low, <laughs> but it's also open. So I don't, I think you could, you want your players to be empowered and and to make smart decisions. Um, so I, I don't know, I guess it's fine. If it was anybody else on the roster, you'd feel better about it probably, but obviously Wisconsin ended up getting the win anyway. It was, it, it, it did. what do you think of him defensively? Cause I thought there were a couple of plays defensively where he also looked to be, a little bit healthier and also really calm. There, there was a block late. Um, yep, felt really calm and, and and didn't 
get rushed and didn't like get too excited and, and kind of showed his age, I guess, for, for lack of better, just his experience of uh, not overreacting there. I think if Tyler plays like we saw against Penn State the next month, then Wisconsin's got a, a decent shot to get into the tournament. And you were mentioning maybe some def- defensive lapses during the game. I thought at least in overtime, Wisconsin's defense for the most part was very good. And the play that sticks with me is the one you referenced that, that Tyler was down on the block. A guy was trying to muscle him up. He held his ground and he blocked the shot a little under three minutes left. And on that possession, Wisconsin ended up forcing a shot clock violation. Penn state had to take a really long three that the Nittany lions airballed. And at the time it was a two point game. So it's a one possession game. Um, and even the next possession, like Lundy missed a contested three because Max Klesman was all over him. So I think Wisconsin showed a lot of metal um, and defensively really stepped up. But Tyler obviously was a huge part of that. Yeah. Penn State over five from three in overtime actually did a, a through these two games. I thought they've actually done a pretty good job against Penn State three point wise. Obviously, the second half going six of eight. Um, uh, no, what was it? Um, what they go in the second half? Because they went two for nine, I thought, in the first half from three. Um, seven, for, seven for nine, Penn State did in second half yeah, from three. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. So two for nine from for, in the first half, good job. Seven of nine, as you mentioned, some of them were, were tough looks. Some of them were not. But in overtime, 0 for five. And uh, I, when I think back to the shots, there was only one that I would say should have gone in, and it actually almost did. I think it was down and out. I'm not sure who was at the top of the key that that took the shot, but it the the ball was down and it rimmed out. He was wide open. Nobody no no one even challenged him. But yeah, uh, for the for the for the most part, it was a really good defensive effort in overtime. Yeah, the one the one you're talking about is Cameron Winter, uh, one of the team's guards, who's not a very good three point shooter. Um, there was about 20, 28 seconds left. He was wide open. But other than that. Yeah, I, I thought defensively they were excellent and made the plays when they needed to. And and I know we've talked a lot about Tyler, but the fact that Wisconsin got four players in double figures, the big three or big four, if you want to throw Connor in there, and I know we'll get to him, um, they just – this is how Wisconsin has to play uh, in, in order to to do something beyond an NIT berth here in the next month. Yeah, for sure. Let's let's get into – well, mm, let's do Chucky Hepburn first. Um mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 19 points, six for 16 shooting. And that's not, that's not good. But then you look at the three point line and it's five for nine. So five for nine from outside uh, the three point line and one for what? Seven from inside. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, Hey, you, you take what you get. And the fact the way he shot the ball, especially in the second half and late that big three pointer to make it 68, 65. <laughs> it felt like after the North Northwestern game, Greg Gard said he still trusted Chucky with the ball in his hands, right? Like he just said, the shots need to be better. And down the stretch, he called a couple of timeouts when it looked like the offense wasn't necessarily doing perhaps what he wanted it to do to set something up. And he did that before that, that Chucky shot. And I feel like even if he hadn't called timeout, he was getting the exact same shot. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I know there. I know there ran action with with uh, a siege and, and maybe the ball would have ended up in his hands. But it felt like, yeah, Gregor trusts you, but he also wants there to be a good shot, and it didn't feel maybe that's a better shot that for mo- that's a good shot for Chucky, just the way that he was shooting it last night. But he he the play 
they'd ended up with the exact same shot. I, I was thinking when Chucky was going on this heater here in the second half that like a lot, it felt to me is that a lot of the shots he was making weren't always, at least for maybe other players, the most high percentage or they were the same looks that he was missing before. I mean, he makes a, a fadeaway jumper and this was after when he started to get hot because he made a three in transition and the next possession, he hits a fadeaway jumper to give Wisconsin a six point lead. A couple of those threes were, were very deep. And the, the one that broke the tie that gave Wisconsin the 68, 65 lead with about 33 seconds left was a, was a step back three. Um, I mean, it's a matter of being in rhythm. I, I don't, it's hard to know sometimes what's in, in Chucky's mind on the court because he's so stoic. Like, I, I don't know if he's ever been at a point where he's lacked confidence in his shot or at least outwardly, but it felt like he just, he had a confidence and a rhythm about him that allowed him to make some of the shots that he had missed before because they're consistently putting the ball in his hands in a tight game. And we've seen there have been situations where he wanted to make the play. And I don't know if it's fair to call it hero ball. Sometimes you hear that a little bit, um, but because he's done it before, I don't think it's out of the ordinary. They just weren't going in. And against Penn State, they did go in where where he was able to to make some of those buckets. Shooting 48% from three. And I know that on that final possession of regulation, a lot of people are saying, why didn't he drive? Why didn't he try and get in the lane? Why did he not try to uh, draw a foul? Well, I mean, I think maybe it's valid in, in some respects for, for certain players. But we saw what happened when he drove last week, right, against Northwestern, or on Sunday, I should say, when he drove against Northwestern. Late in that game, one of them got blocked, and the other one was like an off-balance jumper. He's better from outside the three-point line than he is from inside the arc right now. It's just one of – that's just the way it is. And so I, if I'm Greg Gard or if I'm a Wisconsin fan, I'd rather have that shot than him trying to get inside. It's just not – where his game is at right now i don't know would you agree with that it was a long step back but it was a decent look and it had a great shot and it almost went in carter gilmore almost miraculously got a tip from 15 feet away which would have been absurd but um he he was hitting them earlier in the game so um i understand if he can get into the lane and get himself a, a good look that's that's great but to your point to have your point guard shooting almost 50 percent from three um you know it's it's worth a shot right i mean look he has a chance right now i mean if if he were if we were to end right now the se- if the season were to end right now chucky would be i think fourth all time in free in a in a single season for three point percentage trace webster shot 49% back in 1992 tim locum has the two and three marks with 48.6 and 48.5 and then it'd be chucky so the type of sh- any He's over 100 uh, attempts already. He's got 106 attempts already. So um, it's it's not a small number that he's put up. I like I I know it's a deep shot, but I like it better. I like it better than than him driving at this point. I know that there can be an argument made for it, but he's also their only guy that can create like that too, right? I guess Tyler could, but then you're also risking having to put him at the foul line. Yeah. Um, different. Yeah. Different types of creation. I think too. For sure. Is, is for sure. Thing, but. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't have a massive problem with it because he had been shooting well. I think there have been times where it felt like a force where he wasn't making anything and it it, it somehow felt like an even lower percentage shot. But um, I don't know. I mean, they he only had a few seconds to begin with. So it was a reasonable look, I think, given the circumstances. Connor Seijan is that dude or continues yep. to be that dude. Uh, 18 points, four for seven from uh, beyond the arc. I think it's 
assuming he's at Wisconsin for four years, I think it's a <laughs> foregone conclusion that he uh, that he will set the all-time three-point record uh, that Brad Davison currently holds. J- j- he's just been he's been fantastic, and again, there are lapses at times on defense, but he had a huge defensive play late in that game. That steal, you know, in crunch time was was great, but he's just so pure three points shooting wise. It just feels like every time it puts it up and I'm sure I've said this multiple times this year, every time it goes up, I think it's going in. We, we kind of um, <laughs> had some egg on our faces. when We talked about having a true freshman make an impact like this before earlier mm-hmm. this season when we talked about that. But in terms of a three point shooter, I feel like this is as good as it's gotten for Wisconsin, as good as it's been for Wisconsin from a, from a first year player like this. Well, you, you were just talking about it feels like a foregone conclusion that Connor is going to end up being Wisconsin's all-time three-point shooting leader, uh, assuming he is healthy and plays four seasons. We got a Twitter question about that. I feel like now's a, I'm just going to answer it now because um, it's astounding when you look at some of the numbers, what he's doing this early in his career. So there's still several games left in the season. He's made 53 uh, three-pointers. Um, and he's shooting 44.2% from three. Well, Brad made 300 in his career, obviously got an extra season. He was a 35.9% career three-point shooter. He broke Bronson Koenig's record of 270. Bronson was a 38.8% career three-point shooter who had one season in his career over 40% as a sophomore. He shot 40.5%. And Bronson broke Ben Brusk's record of 235. And Ben was a 38.7% career three-point shooter and never had a season over 40%. Um, So two of your three previous leaders never had seasons over 40% in a single season. And here Connor is, as a true freshman, working his way into the starting lineup and shooting over 44% with really no end in sight. I mean, I thought that there would be a, a stretch here in Big Ten play where teams would figure him out, they would be physical with him, they would know how to guard him. But there are so many shots that he gets off that nobody else on this team could get off because he's got such a quick release and he is smart when he doesn't have the ball. How many situations are there where he, it looks like he's going to take a screen and cut toward the basket and he, he makes a, a, a fade screen and gets just enough room to hit a shot, to get a shot off. And of course, if it's going up, you feel like it's going in. So he's got these intangible characteristics and I can't recall seeing a, a freshman at Wisconsin who could shoot like this. Um, and even guys who are seniors, like I just laid out, some of the guys that we're talking about are more high-volume shooters in general, but he is, and you use the word pure, absolutely a pure three-point shooter. It, it it feels almost like Wisconsin got an absolute steal in their recruiting class to, to wind up with this kid. When you're talking about some of the different things he's able to do without the ball, d- does the Carter Gilmore screen kind of like, is that kind of what you're referring to? The, the three-pointer in overtime. Yeah, at the, at the top of the key, the deep straight yeah. on three. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I was uh, thinking about, too. There was about 350 left, and he buries a three, and Wisconsin went from being up one to four. He just doesn't need any room. And like that's not the only instance, but his ability to to work without the ball and to be smart. And defenders are in a, a, a difficult spot because that was a situation where so the guard who was matching up against Connor went under the screen and didn't have enough time to get back. And um, I would probably go under it too. Like it was so far away from the basket 
but that's all it takes. And Connor buries the shot. Um, and he just feels like he's in such a rhythm. And sometimes you hear about guys hitting a freshman wall. And I know he had one bad game, but he's been able to bounce back consistently uh, and play at this high level. It's uh, it's certainly fun to watch. So I mentioned if he stays at Wisconsin for four years, right? So this popped up last night, and I I don't know exactly what my take on it is, but I'd like to get your opinion on it. Trey Demps, who was a guard at Northwestern, um, I don't know if you remember him. He was he was a talented player. I mean, he was I shouldn't say a talented player. He was a fine player. Went pro overseas for a while, but now he's back, and I think he's doing at least on his Twitter profile. It says Big Ten analyst, uh, but he tweeted last night that, and this is in reference to Connor Asijan, that if I'm a blue blood, I'm dumping Brinks trucks at that young fellow's house. I uh, I understand where college basketball is going. I understand where college basketball is. And if it was certain people saying this, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like if it's a fan from Indiana or a fan from a blue blood, I, I get it. But does it feel a little off for a BTN analyst to say that? It just it just it just feels off. I don't know how you feel about it. Um I I, I don't know. I it it feels like a stretch. I, I mean, he's a great shooter. Uh, he's averaging eleven points a game. Like I, it probably wouldn't be the word word choice that I would use. And and I don't even know, like there's something to be said for the school that's willing to take the chance on you and develop you. And like this kid's played half of one season. So there's, there's a lot to go. And there, there's a lot of other good shooters in the, in college basketball, but probably not the word choice that I would use um, at, at the same time. Like it's a reality of college basketball. It's a reality of college athletics, at, at least in the, the money-making sports that, uh, those things can happen. We certainly have seen on the college football side, players uh, leave to go to other schools with great NIL opportunities. Um, I mean, Jordan Addison was the the Blitnikoff winner, best wide receiver in the country at Pitt and goes to USC. Um, Well, USC's got some great, uh, obviously they were a very good football team, but I think they got a lot of transfers because they had a lot of NIL opportunities. And um, so I don't want to completely ignore that, but I think that is a little bit of a stretch for like, a true freshman who's averaging 11 points a game, even if he's a great three point shooter. Yeah. Again, I maybe, maybe Connor is going to be that guy. I certainly a possibility. It just seems weird. And he, he deleted the tweets obviously. So obviously he felt something was wrong with them. And he tried to say that there was nothing illegal or immoral about what he did or, or said, if that's what blue bloods would do, I mean, pay for play technically is illegal in college basketball or not allowed in college basketball, but it just felt weird. I I could see it from uh, a lot of different perspectives. Um, him saying it as a Big Ten network analyst just feels off. Um, either way, Wisconsin uh, got the win large part because of Connor Seijan, but also the guy that he replaced in the starting lineup, Jordan Davis, didn't play a ton of minutes, made a rather significant impact in the 18 minutes he did play. Uh, eight points, two for three from beyond the arc, and five rebounds. What did you think he gave them? Uh, he gave them the spark off the bench that they were getting before from Connor. Um, I yep. mean, obviously they needed they needed all the points they could get because it was an overtime game, but he was confident in the shots that he did take. He made two for three threes. He got five rebounds. He did everything that you'd want out of him coming off the bench and playing 18 minutes. Um, you got to get something out of him. You've got to get some scoring because that's why he was in the lineup to begin with. Obviously, I know 
defense is a critical component, but what does he do well offensively? He's, he's, he can shoot the three ball. And, and so it was vital. It's funny. I, I think I've said this before on the show, but I always uh, kind of tell how, or I always kind of judge three point shooters on how the bench reacts to when they put the ball up. And um, Jordan Davis, despite, despite the fact that he is shooting what uh, 31% from three, as soon as the ball went up on his, on his three, now he was kind of wide open. Everyone stood up. Um, so I, he's a guy that I think is a great practice shooter. And mm-hmm. there have been quite a few of those at Wisconsin um, throughout the years where then it doesn't always translate to the game. Um, but if he's able to start hitting some of those shots, some of those open shots, it's such a huge lift because they don't have anything off the bench right now in terms of scoring other than him. You're not going to get that from Carter Gilmore. You're not going to get it from Carmario McGee. You're not going to likely get it from Marcus Silver or Chris Hodges or Isaac Lindsay or anybody else. It's got to be Jordan Davis. And if he can do that, if he can kind of give them, as you said, a spark off the bench that Connor was giving them earlier in the year, it's huge. Because they, I mean, their bench is just, I mean, their bench scoring is just, I'll have to go back and look, but it, it has to be some of the lowest it's, they've ever had at Wisconsin. Are like this, we've it, had this conversation before in previous years. Okay, but literally there there are six guys right now that can score the ball, and maybe even say five. I mean, we'll, you, sometimes you get something from Max, but almost all of the scoring is from the starting lineup, and it's not particularly close. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the bench, the bench, bench guys that are actually playing, Jordan Davis, Carter Gilmore, combined for eight points a game. And we're saying we have to throw Jordan Davis in there, but he was a starter for a large majority of the season, so it's not exactly a great number. The Since they brought Connor into the starting lineup, again, points come from where they come from. Who cares where they come from? But you, when you don't have that guy necessarily to bring off the bench, which you had earlier in, in Connor, it was kind of why I thought at times, and this obviously proved to be idiotic on my part, but like having a guy like Connor coming off the bench can give you a little bit of something. Now he obviously has shown that he can give you a, a whole ton being the starter. So, but I'll have to go back. Maybe I'll I'll have to go back and look. Uh, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe this is just recency bias on my part, and they've been horrible off the bench like this uh, multiple times um, in the last five years. It just it feels different. It feels different. I I think in the time we've been doing this show, there's been at least one other season where we've consistently had this discussion, but. This, well, this is, is your six, Jesse. So it's not like we're we're talking about two or three years here. Yeah, that's true. Uh, this is what Wisconsin is. They they've got basically six players who are capable of scoring. And the way Wisconsin won against Penn State is kind of how this team has to win. You've got to ride your starters for the points. You've got to get good defense from Max and occasional clutch play, which you got. And you need something off the bench from Jordan. And Carter Gilmore is going to get you a handful of rebounds, and he was dealing with foul trouble. And that's it. Kamari McGee's going to eat a handful of minutes so so Chucky can at least uh, catch a breather. But this is how Wisconsin has to win the rest of the season. We'll, we'll see if they uh, see if they're able to do that. Um, all right, let's get into uh, some of these Twitter questions that uh, that you got. We'll stay with we'll stay with Connor here a little bit. Uh, Alex says he's hit at least two threes in nineteen of his twenty three games. Shot over forty percent from three in fifteen of twenty three. Is he already the most consistent shooter the Badgers have ever had? Uh, I guess I wasn't here for the Tim Locum years, so I, mean, I don't. 
And that was the beginning of the three-point era, too. I don't know if it's fair for me to make a comparison. Like, yeah, uh, certainly from first era that I was covering the team and or around the programs were, was 2011. I think it's an extremely short list, and I don't know if anybody is above him in terms of the, the level of consistency. Now, Chucky's shooting a higher percentage this year. Um, some of it goes back to maybe sample size, like Connor's taking, that's what he does. I'd like to see where he's at in a couple of years. I'd like, yeah. I mean, presumably he's going to get better, but this young can't ever remember seeing it. And ever he's certainly at the top or like among the select few in the conversation, who else would you even put in this conversation right now? Cause I laid out the previous three leaders in three point field goal shooting. And like I said, they were generally higher volume type players who rarely, if ever, shot 40% in a single season from three. Yeah, Tim Locum. I mean, he shot, so this is in three years, in 89, 90, and 91. 89, he shot 48%, 48 48.6. 1990, 46.9. And 1991, 48.5. Pretty damn good. Yes. Now, I should mention, the line is further back now, and that's a real thing. Yes, it is, for sure. For sure. But that was also the beginning of the three-point era in college basketball, too, or right around the beginning of the three-point era in college basketball. So, uh, but you're right. It, the, the line is now, I mean, that's a, that, that is a very valid point. But still, he's got three of the top five of all time. And it's not like he was only taking 60 uh, <laughs> a season or 65 a season. Took 134, 143, 111. I mean, it was... There's a lot of a lot of shooting, a lot of shots going up, a lot of shots going up from Tim Locum. So I, that would be the only one that I would sit there and say consistency wise. But as a true freshman, I don't think that there has been. I don't th- I, I don't think that there has been. But that wasn't the question. The question was, ha- you know, the best ever. And so I think that maybe is a little bit different than saying best freshman because best fre- best most consistent shooting wise freshman. He has to be up there with anybody. And I'm sure. I'm sure we're probably forgetting somebody and we'll get a text or we'll get a tweet mm-hmm. saying, I can't believe you guys. I was yelling at my, I was yelling at my phone. I was yelling at my car radio. Like, I, I can't believe you guys totally forgot about this guy. And if that's the case, uh, we'll totally own it. We will totally own it. Todd asks 16 assists tonight versus Penn state. The ball and cutting players seem to be moving much better. Did you notice a change? The ball moving much better. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it doesn't stick when it goes inside with, with wall, whereas, which is a good place to start. Right. I mean, the fact that he had half of the team's assists means that the plays were going through him on the majority of the possessions, if it wasn't in Chucky's hands. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, but yeah, and they were, they were in rhythm and and they were very sound offensively for, for most of the night. There were very few instances in which it felt like they went through a major drought. Now there was a moment where, I think Penn State went on a 7-0 run in that second half to get back into it. 13 to 3. Well, 13 to 3. There you go. So uh there have been other instances where they just totally took themselves out of the game because they were they were stagnant and couldn't hit anything. So I felt like it was a little bit better against Penn State. Yeah, for sure. Uh Alex says, uh, would you agree with me that Chucky is playing more selfish than usual? Zero assists is inexcusable plus the whole dribble, then don't pass at the end of the game thing. Uh, I'm not going to say no assists is inexcusable. He led the team in scoring with 19 points. So if the trade-off is he's going to get you buckets, but he's not going to pass the ball, um, 
I think I'm okay with that. He did take 16 shots. Only one other player took double digit shots. Tyler took 10. Um, if you wanted to make a case and say something should have been different, Stephen Crowell made all five of his field goal attempts. The fact he's only getting five, I think he's only taking five the last couple games. You'd probably want more out of that, but I don't have a, a major issue because again, as we discussed, Chucky was hitting a lot of those shots and that shot almost went in. And if it does go in, are we even having that discussion? Well, you got no, you got no assists, but you hit the game winning shot again. It kind of goes into the question from Kyle. He says, does Stephen Crowell need more touches? Uh, only had five shots, obviously went five for five after having 20 and 10 against Penn State in game one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but when guys are hitting the way that they are, um, as long as it's coming from somewhere, you're in a good spot. But what I would say is he, there have been stretches, and maybe it's just dictated by the, the opponent and, and the way other guys are going, but where he was getting double-digit shots. He, he had a stretch not too long ago where – he went six straight games with 10 plus shots and seven out of eight. And he was having some really strong performances. So I, I'm certainly not opposed to Steven getting the ball a little bit more inside because of his ability to finish because of the strength that he's playing with this season. But this ended up being a winning formula for, for one night, at least. I also think, I mean, he only played 24 minutes. Uh, the first game against Penn state, he was at 33 played some of it was obviously foul related, but then in overtime, it was, you know, the, or especially when Penn state went small, they kind of had to, to switch it up. And so he had Carter Gilmore playing. And I thought Carter gave them some really good minutes defensively, but that also plays a role. Like if, it, if he's being going to be forced to chase a guy around, you can't have him necessarily on the court and you can try and do the offense for defense thing, but that's not always easy if there's no stoppage in uh, stoppage in play. So against Penn state who has, very little that can stop Steven inside. You would hope that he would get a few more touches, but Tyler Wall certainly made up for it um, right. this time around. So Mike says, please discuss how awesome it is when Tyler and, and Steven use the post to set up the pass. It is nice. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know what you want me to say. I mean, that was, there were a couple instances where, where Tyler and because of the way he's able to finish inside, he, he draws a couple guys and you lose track of, as hard as it is crowd and he gets easy buckets, but that speaks a lot to, to Tyler's versatility and what he can do. I mean, that's as good of a passing performance, I think, as you'll see out of him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Buffy Badger asks, um, whatever happened to the flop warnings, Penn state's big man flopped twice against crowd. And every time Lundy shot a contested jumper, he fell to the ground. And there's a, another one in here. Where is it? Uh, how would you fl uh, fix the, flop call inconsistencies if you were in charge of officiating um well the first answer was going to be it's at the discretion of the official so like what's up with it or an incons inconsistency <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm not the one making the calls uh and how would i fix it i don't know other than to say you're going to consistently enforce it um which is so annoying i just hate <laughs> i just hate everything about the flop and the the flop warnings and the tees and everything but it's the only way to get it out of the game um I don't know. Well, as if Zach Heilprin was head of officiating, what would he do about the officiating of flops? I would uh, eliminate all officials and just call your own fouls. Um, oh, that would be good. There'd be a lot yeah. of good fights. I mean, you I'm, do it out on the street, right? No, um, I don't know. It's. I feel like uh, Greg Gard will go on long rants about it, but there is just so much you're asking the officials to do, and it's extremely. Um, I think unfair and, and more difficult to do it, not just because 
of the, the number of things that they're being asked to watch, but the speed of the game and everything that goes along with it, it's it's a little bit too much. So I'm I'm not a fan of all these emphasis on on different things. I understand that you want a, a prettier game and you don't want Brad Davison taking what was it six charges or seven charges. I I get mm. that, but at other times it's just it's it's totally a judgment call. And, and I know a lot, I know that's officiating in, in large part, but it's just the inconsistency is because you have different guys calling different games and everyone sees it differently. And so it's going to be inconsistent and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it other than taking that emphasis away, but it is what it is. And they have to, it's just college basketball. It's officiating in general. I mean, it's not just college basketball. It's the NFL. It's the NBA. It's just every game that we watch, doesn't matter the level. The officiating is always going to be a focus, and I think it's part of the game. Uh, I know certain sports are trying to take it out. Baseball, obviously, uh, perhaps uh, uh, robot umps here coming soon. I don't know if you could do that in college basketball. Probably not. It'd be, it'd be fun to watch, though. It'd be fun to watch. <laughs> to see them try and do it. The rise of the machines. Yes. All right. Uh, we, I feel like we get this question all the time, and it's kind of like the tournament question and next year questions, but they are what they are, and people ask them. And I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to ask you about them because that's that's my job. Um, Sam says, "Do you think Tyler Wall is going to stay for one more year?" Uh-huh. He says, "Imagine nobody leaving and adding those three recruits could be fun." Sure, having not uh, heard anything from him and, and won't until probably the season's over. Why not? You can come back for an extra year, get more education have a free year of college. You're not going to the NBA. Why not? I think think it would be a really good team. I think it really depends on how this last month goes. I mean, this, the last few weeks have been extremely tough, have been extremely tough. And if it were to continue like that, if they were to have issues down the stretch, would that be something that he would want to go through again? Uh, Maybe it's something where he didn't, doesn't like the way he finished and doesn't want that to be the, I don't want to say legacy, but what people think about. And he comes back and has a great second senior year and Wisconsin rolls and back in contention for the Big Ten title and and all that. But some guys just want to move on. And I would have no issue with with him doing it. If he comes back, you bring everybody back, you would think you have a good shot at at some success. But college basketball is so year to year. and, And who knows what would be in the portal and who would be going out and who would be going in. But it could be fun. It could be. We have no clue. Like if this was 2016 or 2017, and there's there's so many fewer options to to leave teams, it'd be like, yeah, that'd be Wisconsin set for next year. But you just never know. Pickle effect. You can imagine what this question will be about. (laughs) Um, What would an enhanced recruiting approach at Wisconsin even look like under a new regime? There's great talent in-state and in the Chicago and Twin Cities that we rarely get. What are schools like Gonzaga and Villanova doing that we can't? I think that question referenced like Suggs and Chet Holmgren and yep. Kevon Looney was in there for yep. a long time ago. Um, so Looney, I mean, this recruitment was a long time ago. He, he picked UCLA, but he had said that Bo Ryan was the first coach to offer him. Um, Wisconsin ended up being in that final group, but it was, I think, more of a token because he picked – UCLA over, um, I think it was Tennessee. And then the other schools in the mix were Wisconsin, Duke, Florida, Michigan State. And then the other two didn't, if I'm not mistaken, didn't have offers from Wisconsin. They were also five-star players who 
could go anywhere in the country. I, yeah, it's, we say all the time that the college basketball recruiting is so much different from college football recruiting. Um, it's way more national. So just because you're from Minneapolis or Milwaukee doesn't mean you have an affinity to Wisconsin. And I think Wisconsin has done a tremendous job of recruiting some of the best players in the state of Minnesota away. They're just not the five-star guys. I don't know what you can do. I mean, let's say hypothetically you went out and got X coach who was considered to be a great recruiter and brought great energy. I don't even, I like that doesn't guarantee anything in my mind about suddenly getting five-star guys to come to Wisconsin. And, and maybe I think people look at it and, and say they try to make this comparison because obviously what the football program's done with the transfer portal, but this idea that you can come in and, and revitalize the offense with something new. And so people think, okay, you change the pace of play, you do something a lot different and suddenly it's way more attractive to prospects who want to go up and down the floor. That doesn't mean you're going to have more success as a program, first of all, and that doesn't mean you're going to get any of those guys. So I, I it's really hard to, to have a, a definitive answer on this because it's a hypothetical, but it's one that's even harder on the college basketball side. I think you're right about the Minnesota thing though, too, right? I mean, they've, some of the guys that they've taken out of Minnesota have been pretty highly ranked and great. I mean, I think, you know, Greg Gard's done a, a really good job in the state of Minnesota, but probably excellent. Would, would you say better job in Minnesota than in Wisconsin? Yes, I would. I don't, I mean, that's not even a stretch. There's, I think there's more, there's certainly a lot of talent concentrated in the, the Minneapolis area. And I know that there is in Milwaukee too, but um, I think that's reasonable to say, and look at all the guys that have been key players to this team over the years that have been from Minnesota that when guard was an assistant, he nailed it and he's continued to do so. Um, some of it is kind of what feels like this Lakeville pipeline, but it doesn't <laughs> matter where it's from. It doesn't matter where it's from. These guys are, are, have offers from for a lot of places in the country. I think the difference is we're not talking about the the five star guys, but that's a different animal in my opinion. Um, and I don't Agreed. I don't know what Wisconsin could do to get, become the Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina. Like they're blue bloods for a reason. Yes, um, and that's no slight to Wisconsin. Uh, it's just it's just different, and I'm not sure I have a good answer for what Wisconsin could do. Uh, to get those types of kids. They they never really have. Who who, who have they gotten that were five-star guys? They were people with ties to the state. Right. And yes, what? Sam Decker and yep. Brian, Brian Bush. Bush. That's exactly right. Yeah. High four-star guys that have stayed in state. Well, I mean, so they've lost five-star guys out of the state, right? Whether it's Jalen Johnson or you mentioned uh, Kevon Looney. There, there are guys that have left. And that's just, that is what it is. But I mean, you would be changing a whole lot. And I, I hate that we're doing this after a win, uh, though it is also a third win in 10 games. So it's not like everything's fixed, but I feel like this is an off season question that we could probably talk about for, for quite some time, but we're not going to do that exactly right now. I will finish with this one. What are percent chance that this team makes the tournament, Jesse? Right now, my feeling is below 50%. Um, because they've like if the season ended today, they're not in the tournament. Look at any major projection projection, they were either in the first four out or the next four out. Now, some of those projections were made before the Penn State game. That could end up being a big one for them. Uh, you've got to pick up more quad one wins and just wins in general. Uh, where they're at right now is not going to be good enough. So 
I think it's close to 50-50, but because they're on the outside looking in, that's kind of why I lean toward toward not going. They're the ones that are going to have to make it happen. And I don't know exactly what the record is, but you certainly got to get to 500 in Big Ten play, which they're close. And, uh, you know, that's the other interesting thing. We talked about this last week, the difference between third place and 10th place or whatever. But Wisconsin is six and seven in the league right now. That's what? Tenth in in the in the Big Ten. It's tenth, but it's only exactly one game one game out of the win uh, one back in the win column from five teams. Fifth, and that and that's what I was going to say. So it's such a small difference between feeling like you're on the outside looking into <laughs> you're in fifth place in the league, and if you finish in fifth in this league, you you're you're doing something right. So there's seven regular season games left they've got to go what at least four and three that gets you to 10 and 10 but even then you're 18 and 12 in the regular season and would have to make some noise in the big 10 tournament so it's a tall task they can do it but it just feels like right now i i lean toward they're not they're not going to get in interestingly enough they have the third most quad one wins in the big 10 only uh, i think only purdue and Iowa have more because Penn State is a quad one win on yes. the road. Um, it's actually kind of funny. Wisconsin uh, is a really bad loss right now for Marquette. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, I believe it's a quad three loss and um, obviously a quad three loss at Penn State for Penn State on or two quad three, well, one quad three loss for uh, Penn State uh, with, with Wisconsin. Now, maybe that ends up in quad two, depending on how Wisconsin finishes. Uh, team rankings has them at 56% chance to make the tournament uh, or to get a bid. Our guy, uh, Bart Torbick at uh, T-Rank has them at 36.5% to get in. So uh, I don't know what all goes into that. I am not uh, a math guy. We should, we should obviously get Bart on. And I think we will uh, very soon. He can, he can take us through that, but um, it's, there's still a a very uh, tall hill to climb. A very big hill to climb, I think, to get to get all the way back in. And then four three, go through that schedule. Where are the four wins? Right, I mean, to get to eighteen, at this point. I want to make sure you didn't misspeak before because you said they had a, a loss. Did I hear this right? That you said they had a loss to Marquette. Maybe you meant somebody else. Uh, Wisconsin's loss. All right, Marquette has a quad three loss to Wisconsin. Like Wisconsin's in quad ah, three. Marquette. I got you. I got Marquette you. The Marquette lot that's a quad three loss for Marquette. Yes, it's kind of funny. Gotcha. So yeah, that's what I what was referring. But going back to Wisconsin schedule, they've got, as you mentioned, seven games left. Yeah. Where are they Nebraska, coming from? Yeah, Nebraska on Saturday. Win? Uh better be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're All four right. and ten in the league. So I know that's uh what is that? They that, can... that one's on the road, but you gotta win. Yep. Yeah. Uh Michigan comes to Wisconsin on Valentine's Day next Tuesday. Boy, they better be inspired and the fans will be out to make sure uh, Hunter Dickinson is aware of their displeasure with him. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say that Wisconsin wins that one. All right, so, <laughs> so, so 2-0. Then they get uh, number 24 Rutgers yeah. coming to Wisconsin. They get three home, three straight home games here um, yeah. after Nebraska. That's a tough one. It's a Saturday morning, 11 a.m., I would expect actually a pretty good crowd for that one, but we'll see. It's I don't know. They, I mean, I, if they go two and one in that three game home stretch, they're in great shape. If they are three and one 
heading out of that Iowa game, going to Michigan. And and look, <laughs> you got to go at Michigan and you got to play Purdue at home. I think it's going to be a situation where you might even come down to the regular season finale at Minnesota and you desperately need that one to put yourself in better position for the tournament. All right, let's go. Uh, give me win-loss on all these. Uh, Wisconsin-Nebraska, win, right? So 1-0. Yeah. Wisconsin-Michigan, win. So 2-0. Rutgers yeah. at Wisconsin. Uh I'll say it's a loss and they beat Iowa or they beat Rutgers and lose to Iowa. I think they're going to go two and one in that home stretch. All right. So two and one there. Um, Iowa, Wisconsin, you're going to take, if you're saying Rutgers losing, so that's three and one Wisconsin at Michigan. Loss there. Loss at home to Purdue. Three and two, three and three. So you're sitting there needing to go to, go to Minnesota and get to, to four and three. That's a dub. Minnesota's one and eleven last place in the big big ten right now. So that's four and three. That would get Wisconsin to five hundred in the league, eighteen and twelve going into the conference tournament. And uh, I mean, we who knows where that will mean in terms of seeding because of the all the other teams, but you're gonna have to win maybe two games, but certainly one in the Big Ten tournament, I think. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um Greg Gard did not want to talk about the bubble last night. He uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was not interested in talking about March. Uh Enjoy the journey, all that good stuff. But we all know exactly what it comes down to. Um, you do play these four months to get to March. Um, I mean, that's that's what it's about. And uh, his team is definitely on the bubble. And it's probably going to stay that way all the way up until Selection Sunday. And uh, then we'll see which way things go. But a strong Big Ten, you would hope, eh, gives them a little bit of a, a benefit if they get to 10 and 10. We'll see. Jesse, thank you very much. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Swing.